coming to you from the pit in Royal Grande, California. Your hosts, John Hackleman and Dr. James Casper. It's time for Pitmaster and the Doc. Hey guys, Pitmaster here. I'm here with the Doc. John, good to see you. And we're going to talk about UFC Wichita. Oh. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> UFC Wichita. Um, Where's Wichita? Have Wichita, you been to Wichita? Kansas. I've never been there. It's in Kansas. Um, and I've never been there. It's somewhere in the Midwest. The UFC mid- gets around. It does. It's They go everywhere. I wonder where they haven't been. It was funny to see Tony, Tony Atlas, the old boxing trainer of... Uh, of uh, Mike Tyson, Teddy Atlas, Teddy Atlas, yeah. He said something really, uh, he was being interviewed about the way boxing is going, and he said boxing should take a lesson from the UFC, especially Dana White, because the only way this sport is surviving, will survive, is if it had a dictator like Dana White calling all the shots, because... The way boxing is, like, everybody's, like, all over the place, and nobody's agreeing to anything, and they don't, you know, they always want to go here for a fight, here for a fight, and they'll always fight easy guys. He said Dana won't let anyone fight easy guys. Every fight's a good fight. He tells them, you're going to fight so-and-so, and if you don't, you're out. And with boxing, people pick and choose too much. It was a pretty interesting article with Teddy Atlas. Yeah, it but, is, it's kind of a dictatorship, but it works. It works. It's proven for sure. And, I mean, when you call it a dictatorship, like, you think of a dictatorship, uh, no one, they have nowhere to go. Like, if you think of a dictator, like, he's telling you what to do, and if you don't do it, he'll kill you. Whereas, with Dana, Dana's telling you what to do. If you don't want to do it, you're free to go. Well, isn't that just called a boss? Oh, yeah, it's called a boss. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all the, people don't like bosses anymore. No, it's this day and age, it's politically incorrect to be a boss. You have to just go into their feelings. Dana cares more about the sport, um, growing the sport, than he does their feelings. And, and we've and, talked about that too, where he's made decisions that are for the sport rather than for money, presumably, like moving John Jones's fight to L.A. I think Because he wanted yeah. to see the fight. I'm sure they maybe lost money doing that, but didn't want to lose the John Jones fight. I, I, me and Dana have had our, you know, we've had our, Disagreements, but I think he does. He's done a fucking phenomenal job with the UFC. Made a lot of enemies, but he's made even more friends, and um, I think he does a fantastic job with it. Speaking yeah. of which, UFC Wichita. Wichita. So I don't know how many of these fighters you saw all the fights. I saw them all. All right, good because I didn't. I saw. I watched the main event, which I think is what most people probably tuned in for. I'll represent the casual fan that watches the main event on this card. You're the hardcore MMA guy that watched all these fights. I did. But uh, which ones do you want to talk about? Let's start from the beginning. Okay. Um, Desanos, or Desanos, I Start always, from the end. Yeah. Uh, okay. From the top. From the top. Um, Derek Lewis and Junior Dos Santos. I, first of all, behind the scenes, Junior Dos Santos... Is just like that. How he smiles. He grabbed the microphone 
and said, come on, you guys, it's my birth, it's my daughter's birthday. He's saying happy birthday to you with a microphone. I've never seen that in my life. To a life. crowd that was not cheering for him. No, but they were, but they were singing along. <laughs> they were not cheering for no, him. No, they weren't, but they were singing along. And, uh, How do you not sing along to a kid? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the way he is all the time. I've, I've met him, I've talked to him at the gym. I've seen him outside the gym. I've seen him at fights. I've seen him in his dressing room before fights. He's always like that. I've never seen him after a loss, though. So I, I got to say, I've never... Well, he's been, and speaking of which, he's been on kind of back on a winning streak. Yeah. Who did he fought last? He fought Tai Tuivasa. Remember that one? Mm. And laid him out. That was a, a brutal one. That was his fight leading up to this fight with Derek Lewis. He used to be champion, right? He was champion. He was champion for a while. He's, 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 he's mainly a boxer. He's, he's well-rounded with his takedown defense and his takedowns when he has to. Um, but he's mainly a boxer, and he has a really good boxing coach. And he's just he's been with the guy from the beginning, and they're, they're, they have a really good thing. Um, he landed a spinning back kick in the first round that nailed uh, Derek Lewis. And Derek Lewis was like almost, I mean, he was he in so over. much pain. So much pain. Over, yeah. But then when Junior came in for the kill, he struck like a, like a cat. Like he just he came out at uh, Junior and he ca- caught him with a right hand. And it looked like Junior was going to go out, but he couldn't follow up because his liver he was, was too like, injured. No. So that was a liver shot. I mean, right. that was. Oh, God. I couldn't believe he even pounced on. Uh, junior at all after being caught with that liver shot but he did uh it seemed like when he first threw that shot he was kind of baiting yeah dos santos in with pretending like he was hurt but he was he really was hurt. hurt he, he kept hurt. holding his stomach oh his side it was terrible but don't forget he was holding his stomach like that at, there was a loss that he had not that long ago and he was holding his stomach the same way and then when he got the microphone he goes he said he had to go to the bathroom and he had to poop. That so, oh, that was before the DC yeah, fight. Yeah. So he was coming into this fight off of the DC fight. Before that, he had beat uh, Volkanov and uh, big guy Nagano. Okay. So he had come off two big wins. He got a title shot against the Nagano fight. Wasn't really a good. I mean, no, it, it, yeah. it was. They both. Look, it was another one. They both looked. There's like four punches for the whole fight. But he won that he fight, and then he got a title shot after his next yeah. fight. So, you know, he was coming off of that. He is so entertaining to watch. He's entertaining. His flexibility. He weighs 280 pounds fighting. He's like six feet. He has to cut weight to make heavyweight. And he does jumping, flipping kicks and shit. He does like spinning kicks. He does these amazing head kicks. He's unbelievable. And his personality is just, it's so engaging. And he's just, he's just always joking. He's never, he's never like a negative. He's just. He's he's great for the sport. I think he's, he's great, great for the that. sport. He put up a good fight. He suffered that horrible body shot. Oh, just and then he came back. He came back, and what Junior caught him with is something I'm going to bring into the curriculum, in our curriculum. It was like really cool. He like put his hand out and just slapped him real quick with his left, and just threw it right, almost down the middle. It was kind of over the a top, bit over, yeah. but it's pop pop. And it, it it dropped him. That was the that was the beginning of the end, and then he followed up and knocked him out. But it was cool to watch just a quick slap to the face and then a right hand. As opposed to a jab and a right hand or a hook and a right hand, he slapped him with his left and then 
hit him with his right. I love that finish. I, and I'm going to use that uh, technique. I'm like Bruce Lee. I you know, like like water. You know what I mean? I, I mold to different cups. But anyway, so that was a great fight. Okay. That was a, that was a good fight. Anyway. And I think, I think people tune into a card like that, a lot of people, to see Derek Lewis and Janius throw down. And they did. That was a good fight. Who was that? Oh, I didn't even know who the underdog was. I have a feeling Junior was the underdog. I'd be willing to bet that. But, okay, so that was a good one. And then we got, who else we got on the card? Uh, the next fight was uh, another Dos Santos, no relation. and uh, Curtius. Yeah, Curtius, Curtis, and Millhander. And... Um, that was a submission Dis win. Yeah, Dos Santos was an uh, underdog. And uh, Melander... Um, he just, he just, he's, I mean, he, he admits his weakness is the ground, but he stands up so tall like a kickboxer. That's his strength. That's his background. So it seems like he needs to drop his level a little bit and work on takedown defense. And it doesn't have to be sprawls. And that's, that's, I think that's what he works on most as opposed to lowering his level and, uh, using more lateral movement. Um, but he ended up. Didn't he end up on his back like within the first minute of this fight? He, he was up tall, threw like a, a wide hook, but he was like standing up like a Muay Thai fighter. And, and uh, DeSantis just came right under, took him down, and, and choked him out. So, bang. That was that. Was that. Um, well, that was a rear naked choke, wasn't it? Finish? That, I saw the finish yeah, on that yeah, fight. Yeah, it was. It was. And then, and then we had Tim Means against uh, Nico Price. Uh, this... I have a feeling this was fight of the night. I hope it was. Because the way these two guys went back and forth, uh, Tim hurt Nico, Nico hurt Tim. It went back and forth. I think it was the second, oh, first, first round. Very, very end of the first oh, round. Oh, my God, There's yeah. nine seconds left. Oh, and then, and then Tim Means actually hurt Nico. I think it was a right hand, and Nico was backing up. And then as soon as Nico hit the fence, Tim Means rushed in with his chin out. And uh, and Nico hit him with a right hook, and it was done. That was it, right? It was that. And on the way he yeah. on the way down, he actually broke his ankle, and it showed in slow motion. He broke his ankle on the way down. Poor uh, Tim Means. So that was a really good fight. Nico's the one that had the guy. Remember the guy was in his guard, and he was hammer blowing his face. Yeah, yeah, that was Nico. So next one. Was uh oh Ben Rothwell Ben Rothwell the guy said remember that post fight he goes I'm back or something crazy but anyway he fought a guy named I'm not even gonna say Blagney Blagney his first name Ben Rothwell against Blagney Blagney's big story he was first time he fought I I realized I noticed I mean being a registered nurse ER nurse and I used to be a registered <laughs> therapist. And I always talk about tracheostomies. He had a tracheostomy scar. And I was like, why is there a guy fighting in, in the UFC that had a tracheostomy? If you had a tracheostomy, it means you've been, like, at death's edge. I mean, you've been, like, critically, critically injured. Or you're a chronic, you have some kind of chronic illness. But to get, a to, get to the point where you need a tracheostomy means you've had to have a severe brain injury or you've had to have a severe lung injury. You've had to have something very seriously, like life or death. 
So when I first time I saw him fight, I just thought, this guy must be tough as shit. He's over there with a tracheostomy scar, and he's fighting in the cage. So, um, come to find out, he was in a bar with a bunch of friends, and he got stabbed in the lungs. So he had, you know, his lung collapsed, and he, he was near death. He was in a coma for like a fucking 10 days or something. And he still fights. Oh, that's his ankle? Look at his ankle. Oh my god. Can you see that? His ankle's dislocated, it looks like. His wife posted this picture on Instagram. Well, thanks a lot, honey. But his ankle's dislocated. He has a surgical. He needs surgery on that. He's going to have surgery. Yeah. Anyway. Poor yeah, Tim. I, got it, I had to add the orthopedics. I didn't know he broke his ankle after he got knocked out. That's brutal. Yeah, it was like right after the punch landed, he stepped back and kind of, while he was knocked out, his ankle just gave. Yeah, see the picture right there. That's, That's terrible. Uh, not supposed to look like that. So that's his ankle's dislocated at the that in that picture that's right there. That's terrible. So anyway, so this guy and Tim Rothwell, uh, he got the win. It could have gone either way. Um, um, but just the fact, imagine. I mean, most guys will never come back to even. They'll never even walk around the block. They would just be like, "Ah, I was in a coma for ten, and I have a tracheostomy, and uh, I'm not gonna. I can't walk work out anymore." This guy's fighting in the top. The top ring, the top level, the top echelon of MMA in the UFC. He's he was in a coma not that long ago. It was like a couple years ago. He was in a coma, stabbed in the fucking lung with a tracheostomy and shit. He was on at death's door. You know, with a he had like a ventilator and shit. He's fighting now. He's not just okay and. He's finally walking in his ambulatory. He's fighting in the UFC. That's one of the toughest guys in the world. I guarantee it. So other than that, um, I don't, not that much. I mean, we got uh, Danush fought uh, Duber. And uh, Duber's a really muscular guy, and he looks really good on his feet. But Danush took him down in the second round, and uh, and he choked him out. No, he got an arm bar. I no, think. he choked him out. What? He choked him out. I thought I saw the finish on this. You're the one that saw the fight. Today, yeah, he, he choked him out. But, but was he in an arm bar? He was in an arm bar-ish. It was a triangle-ish. It was a reverse triangle, and it was a reverse Kimura, and it turned to an arm bar, but he had the leg uh, wrapped around the neck. So he choked him out uh, second round. So Danush... He, he tapped, right? Yeah, yeah. He tapped. Yeah. And he said, he said, I took, I, I didn't tap to the arm, I took to the... Oh. And... Um, so anyway, Danish is so so good on the ground, uh, and he's good standing too. He's he's a well-rounded fighter. Ramsey beat Danish. Ramsey Nijam, one of our guys. But anyway, so it was a good night, um, uh, a good night of the fights, and uh, UFC just like it's just you. I think the ESPN is really good for the UFC. I, I really think it's do. been great. Yeah, I really do. I think. They're, they're, they're broadcasting and they're, uh, they're, what do you call, you know. It's integrating it into their sports, the other sports. You go on ESPN's website, it's baseball, football, MMA. It's just one of the major league sports now. Uh, is, is it MMA? It's not, it's not an alternative sport now. It's, I think it says MMA, but it's all UFC. I wonder if they had MMA, other sports. Oh. But, I mean, they just break it down. It's not a fringe sport. Yeah. It's not a alternative sport. It's not an extreme sport. It's one of the main sports now. Yeah. So I think that UFC, uh, ESPN Alliance, is just will probably bring in a ton more fans to the, 
to mixed martial arts, I think. Yeah. I think it's good for the sport. Yeah, yeah, it is. Bring yeah, a lot yeah. more casual fans like me. <laughs> you better so. not be. We're on this damn podcast. <laughs> We're supposed to be fucking experts over here. I can tell you all of expert opinion on this ankle. Um, <laughs> so that was the UFC. I did. I don't think we talked about it on this podcast, but there was this article that people were coming into my office talking to me about, and sometimes fitness, the fitness world, and you know, crosses over with the my medical world on. You know, and there was a big uh, study published on some fitness stuff and the risk factors for developing heart disease. And I talked to you about it. I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but it was a study that followed firefighters um, when they joined or their baseline assessment. And they do a bunch of stuff. But one of the things they tested was their ability for these new recruits or people to be able to do push-ups. And they would time them. I mean, they don't give you all day, but... They would time them at a rate of 40 push-ups per minute, real push-ups, all the way down to the ground, and then elbows extended. And they would go until you missed a couple counts or whatever, and then that was your number. So basically, it was at a rate of 40 per minute. And if you could do 40 push-ups versus if you could do 30 or 20 or 10, they followed these guys for 10 years. And the guys that couldn't do 10 push-ups were at a higher risk, a statistically higher risk for getting a heart, you know, having a heart attack or having a cardiac event. So it's not just push-ups that protects you. It's just your general fitness. But it is interesting when these, you know, that's an actual test. I think doctors used to rely on, well, how can you walk up flights of stairs? Can you do this or that to try to assess someone's physical fitness? And it's self-reported. This is an actual test you can do, which is kind of cool that you can do in one minute just to kind of gauge your overall shape. It's one it's one test, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think it would be more realistic if it was burpees, like X amount of burpees. I, just, I don't see the cardio. I mean, it's hard as shit, but, like, if I'm doing as many squats as I can, they're bigger muscle groups, so I'm, I'm more, you know, more cardio compromised. Whereas if I'm trying to do push-ups, when I try to do max push-ups, it just burns here. This gives out before my cardio. I totally agree with you. And so this study was done not looking for the best test. It was just looking One. at, it was a big group of, it's all men. And they're all firefighters. So you can say, well, it's only it, this only applies to part of the population. But it was a test that they do anyway as part of their fitness test, I guess, for the, these guys. Huh. So it was one of the measures they could check and then see over 10 years what happened to these guys. So it's probably not the best test for this, but it is an interesting test that just shows the crossover between... We should do a test. We should do a test. Yeah. And find some of our students. We didn't do our... When are we going to do our testosterone? That's a whole other test. <laughs> but I do, I do think it's interesting. So I, you know, to try to do that push-up challenge. So if anyone wants to try it, you can tell us how many you got. Tell, tell them the, the website to go to to get the count. Oh, well, if you want to do it correctly, the way they did it in the study, you have to use what's called a metronome, which is just something that beats a certain number of times per minute. So you set it to 80 beats per minute, and every time it clicks, you go up, and then when it clicks again, you go down. So it's two beats per push-up, so that's 40 push-ups per minute. And then once you miss three beats, your, your test is over. You can go over a minute. You can do more than 40. But that's how they that's how they did the test. I think if you read any of the articles that were published on it in any of the newspapers, it was all confusing. You couldn't tell how they actually did it. But that's how they did it in the study. Um, so you just look up a metronome on Google and put it on eighty, 
and then just start it and then huh. do your push-ups. I'm going to try it. Yeah. I don't know what I'll get. But, all right, so we got that. Let me just, let me bring up one thing. We're going to, um, I'm going to delve into this some more. Uh, it's in my blog this, this week, too. I get asked a lot on how to mentally prepare for a fight. Um, and there's two different kind of fights in the street and in the cage. It's a whole different preparation uh, because the street happens like right now. You stand up, you know, somebody has been eyeing you up. He, you did something he didn't like, you didn't know it. You stand up, next thing you know, you're getting hit. So you don't have really time to prepare. Whereas an MMA fighter, kickboxer, usually have like eight weeks to prepare for a fight in camp. So there's a lot of mental preparation. Um, and it's a big part of the camp. Mental preparation is a big part of the camp. People like Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, all the old fighters used to go to training camps. Even um, a lot of the training fighters now go to training camps. And a lot of that is for mental preparation. They're getting out of their life, you know, out of their everyday life. And um, going to a camp, wherever that camp is, usually it's out in the wilderness. Um, uh, some people like Pacquiao likes his camp right in the middle of, of Hollywood, you know. And then guys like uh, um, Mayweather right in the middle of the strip. And then guys like Tyson, he used to go to like Deer Lake or or something. They go to like way out in the boonies. So um, mental preparation is a huge, huge part of, uh, of fighting, whether it's the street or the, or the sport. So um, when you're training, you got to keep that in mind. And I, I, come up, I came up with a, a little thing called PAW, P-A-W, like a dog's paw. And that's a quick, I'm just going to give, give you a quick rundown of it. The number one way to get mentally prepared for a fight is to be physically prepared. That might sound like, oh, that's stupid. No, it's not. You should be physically prepared. If you're physically prepared for a fight, you're going to be mentally prepared you know, exponentially more than you will if you're not in shape. Like if someone came up to me right now grabbing the street and I hadn't been training for a while and I'm kind of lazy and I've turned into a fucking bitch or whatever and somebody grabbed me, my, my mental preparation wouldn't be there. I wouldn't know what to do, I, you know. But I am physically prepared. So if somebody grabbed me, I'd know exactly what to do. And the same would be for my fighters. They're so physically prepared that helps their mentally mental preparation the second thing that's physically prepared the second thing the a is animal instinct animal instinct is, is trained way back in the kajakempo days my instructor walter goodin used to always do some of the forms and some of the like the punch tricks and the self-defense things hey get the guy on the ground and he'd be yelling and hitting and he'd be saying you gotta have animal instinct you gotta have animal instinct for a fight and they call it killer instinct in the cage. I don't like to use the word killer instinct. But it's the same thing. You have to develop your animal instincts to stay alive. And in the street, it comes out in a different way. It comes out with gouging, biting. You have to do anything you, you can to win. In the cage, it's like if you catch someone and you see that they're hurt, you have to go after them. You notice sometimes you hear Joe Rogan saying, oh, he doesn't really have much killer instinct. He's hurt the guy, but he doesn't go after him. So going after the guy is your animal instinct. And you have to have that for a fight because if you don't have it and your opponent does or your attacker does, you're dead or you lost, they didn't. All right? That's the A. 
the W is the Y. And Y is like, in the cage, it would be like you, you're fighting for your family. You're fighting for your life. You're fighting, you're fighting to be a legacy. You're fighting for a title. You're fighting for more money. You know, there, you have to be fighting for something. When that bell rings, you can't just be, oh, I'm, I'm fighting. Okay. You have to have a reason why. In the street, it's easy, right? In the street, you're fighting to stay alive. So there's no, you don't have to really focus on the why, you're staying alive. So you have to go click into your animal instincts and, and let it go. But in the cage, there has to be a defined why. And everybody has their own why. When I was fighting, it was just because that's what I thought I had to do. I didn't even care about titles. You know, I didn't care about making more money. I didn't, you know, money wasn't a big thing for me. And for a lot of fighters, it isn't. But once they start making a lot, which I never really did when I was fighting, then it becomes more and more important. Pretty soon, if you know you're going to make $10 million if you win the next fight, your why is right there. All right, so you need, you need to be physically prepared to be mentally prepared. You have to have animal instincts to be mentally prepared, and you have to have a why. All right, so to mentally prepare for a fight, that's what I, that's what I have to tell you right now. Paw. Paw, and the why I think is really important too when you're training. Yeah, you need a why. You, you train Wake up every hard. day. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you need a why to train hard. And I think I remember seeing an interview recently with Tyson Fury, the boxer. Yeah, talking about his why, and after I think he won or whatever. After that, he's like, "What now?" And then yeah. he just fell apart. He like didn't have a why anymore. All of a sudden. Yeah, good point. So, so that yeah. is interesting. You need a why, I think, for the training. You need the why for the training and the fight, and you also need the why. Um, you also need the uh, you know the why is different in the street as it is in the cage. The animal instinct is a little different too. Animal instinct means you're fighting to stay alive. That's what you do in the street. You you have to fight to stay alive and to kill or hurt them. In the cage, it's to finish them when you know you have them hurt. So it's a different animal instinct, a different why. But train the physical part is exactly the same. You should train super hard. Always be in training, whether you're training for the street, um, the cage, or just to look better at the beach. And the animal instinct's interesting, because I think the different fighters that we see, there's definitely a spectrum on that oh, one. Oh, there is. There's a big spectrum and on then, that. Yeah, there's a huge spectrum, and guys, a lot of guys, like Mike Tyson, he had all the skill and power and the animal instinct. But then someone like Arturo Gatti... He didn't have much skill at all, but he had so much animal instinct. It's what got him to be a multimillionaire. His fighting skills weren't that great. His his punching power wasn't that great, but he had unbelievable animal instinct. So somebody like Tyson had it all, and then there's fighters that really don't have that much of it, but they have so much skill, it gets them by. And I think, uh, I think um, Larry Holmes is a perfect example. So yeah, there's all kind of levels of, of your why, of your animal instinct and of your physical preparedness, but it's a good uh, guideline for when you're training. P A W. Cool. Dang. Nice. Hey, I'm going to the our academy meeting for orthopedics. Um, it's kind of like your martial arts super show, but for orthopedics. When is here. it? I'm leaving Wednesday, but I'll look. I'll be on the lookout for any uh, fitness related, uh, fitness or martial arts related stuff. I'll see what I can bring back. All right, and I'm going to Tony Robbins on Wednesday. So I'm going to get back any why or animal instinct uh, type things that I can get over there. All right. Sounds good. However, right, Till next time.